This is John J. Miller of National Review Online. Thanks for listening. Our guest is Roger Kimball, author of Tenured Radicals, How Politics Has Corrupted Our Higher Education. Roger, this is a brand new edition, a third edition, of a book that originally came out in 1990. Over the last two decades, has the situation in higher education improved, or has it actually gotten worse? Well, John, I think it's a little of both, really. It, it certainly has changed. Uh, back in 1990, when I first published Tenured Radicals, and I went around to lots of campuses to talk about the book, I found uh, in many places that the students were almost as hostile as the faculty in, in, in listening to what I had to say. But that has changed. I would say mm, for at least 10 years now, the students have been much more receptive to the message of tenured radicals, namely that uh, it's a bad thing when the curriculum gets politicized and when uh, uh, higher education is sort of turned over to ideologues rather than to scholars. Uh, the students seem much more receptive to that now, but I haven't noticed any softening on the part of the faculty. Um, if anything, I think there's a kind of circling of the wagons. Um, I attribute this, at least in a large part, to the institution of tenure, which is a kind of a mechanism not dissimilar from a virus in that it is a self-perpetuating machine uh, in which like replicates like. Um, the, the, the tenured radicals who now are in positions of power, not only in the various departments, but also in the administrations, the provosts, the deans, the presidents, and so on, um, they tend to uh, appoint and promote themselves, uh, sort of the newer versions of themselves. And so I think that the, the kind of the moral and intellectual texture of most colleges and universities is not that dissimilar now in 2008 from what it was back in, in 1990. Uh, the one difference is that there are more voices critical of the status quo now than there were then, and that I think is a, is a healthy thing. Do you think schools should stop offering tenure to professors and offer them, you know, yearly contracts or, 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 or some kind of contract. And, and secondly, is it conservative traditionalist scholars who, of all people, need tenure and its protections more than ever? You know, that's, a, that's something I've thought about a fair amount. And I, I, I know that some of, my, some of my close friends will disagree with me about this. And I, I'm not, I may even disagree with myself a little bit. I'm not quite sure about it. I mean, the institution of tenure was devised to protect academic freedom and encourage the so-called marketplace of ideas, responsible marketplace of ideas in the university. But by some perverse logic, it has had almost the exact opposite effect. Uh, namely, it tends to encourage conformity and to stifle uh, divergent opinions, even responsible divergent opinions. So, uh, you know, I think that it, it's certainly an institution that needs a very hard look. Perhaps it has some place in some universities, but perhaps it, is, it has been oversold and it shouldn't be the model, uh, the kind of the, 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 the golden uh, sinusure toward which every uh, faculty member 
you know, aspires. Um, and, and, and for your second point about the conservative or traditionalist scholars on campus, are, you know, does tenure help protect them and at least give us some modicum uh, of, of representation of that, that point of view on campus as well? I'm not sure. I know that um, some of my conservative friends, Harvey Mansfield, for example, or Donald Kagan at Yale, they have said that if it weren't for tenure, they probably wouldn't um, uh, have been able to have the careers that they've, they've had. And maybe that's true. But then I think to myself, well, gosh, um, how many conservatives does Yale have? There's Donald Kagan, and then you very soon start scratching your head. There aren't very many of them. So it's sort of a statistically uh, insignificant. And so I'm wondering whether whether tenure really is the best way of getting those points of view represented on, on the campus. And I, I, my, my feeling, um, I could be persuaded otherwise, but my feeling is that it's not. You mentioned earlier that, that students seem more aware of the problem of political correctness versus, say, a generation ago. I think that's mm -hmm. probably true of the public as well. But the public doesn't seem to feel a sense of emergency about the state of our college. Why is that? Well, that's a very good question. I think if we could answer that, uh, if we could really delve down and answer that question, we would, we would have answered a very, very important question. Um, a large part of the answer, I think, is that uh, parents have regarded uh, college education, especially at an elite institution, as a very important meal ticket. And uh, they've been willing to set aside the uh, all of the other stuff, the, the, the curricular follies, the, the politicization, uh, the attack on traditional values, uh, all of that stuff that, that you know, has been reported uh, you know, not only by me, but by people like Alan Bloom and Dinesh D'Souza and many, many others. Uh, all of that, you know, the Ward Churchills and, and all of that, you know, phantasmagoria, uh, of what has become of higher education. They're willing to set that aside because they say, gosh, well, we'll spend our $200,000 and send uh, Johnny to Yale or Princeton or Harvard or Williams. And, you know, he may not learn very much. Uh, he may come out, you know, believing uh, things that are diametrically opposed to everything we've tried to teach him, but at least he'll be able to get a good job and uh, succeed in, in the marketplace. Now, I think actually that is becoming a little bit less true now, and I think to the extent that um, universities are no longer seen as the golden key unlocking economic opportunity, parents are going to be taking a harder and harder look at it, especially uh, in, at a moment when there's so much economic turmoil and uh, colleges and universities have yet to start lowering their tuitions. I mean, you know, they've been, raise, they've been rising at a rate far in excess of the rate of inflation for decades now. Um, you know, I mean, I remember it wasn't that long ago that I was sitting with a friend uh, in Maury's at, at, at Yale, and he was saying to me, gosh, Roger, do you realize that it's going to cost 10 thousand dollars a year to send someone to Yale next year and we both had a moment of silence and appreciation of this august figure of ten thousand dollars a year well now it's fifty thousand dollars a year and um, there are a lot of reasons for that um, uh, in, and that's a subject for perhaps another book but I think that as you know these various factors sort of coalesce 
I think that, that parents may uh, cast a more jaundiced eye on the offerings of, of the colleges and universities these days. So what is to be done? What is your prescription for retaking the universities? Well, I've become less sanguine about that uh, in the last year or so than I was, um, you know, before. I used to think that um, appealing over the heads of the faculty and the administrations and so on to parents, to alumni, to boards of trustees, um, you know, if, if, you could, if you could make the horror story sufficiently vivid, if you could demonstrate, as it is easy to demonstrate, the politicization of of um, of, of the curriculum, uh, you know, if you can show what a shambles uh, intellectually and morally and socially many colleges and universities have become, uh, my thought was, well, you could, you know, start a kind of groundswell movement and, and at- attack this, this behemoth. But uh, I don't think that's any longer the case, really, in part. Now, this may be changing in the current economic situation, but in part, until very recently, so many of these colleges and universities were so rich that it didn't matter if parents, you know, stopped donating to the annual fund uh, or if alumni stopped making their contributions and so on. Uh, you know, take tiny Hamilton College up in upstate New York. The last time I looked, and that's before the recent financial crunch, but the last time I looked, um, this institution with about 2,000 students had an endowment of um, almost a billion dollars. So it really wouldn't matter to them if the annual fund were to take a, a dip for a year or two. They could easily weather that. Now, you know, maybe that's changed or is changing. Um, but my own, my own thought is that the, the best way around, uh, the best way to retake the universities is to begin to provide um, some alternatives. And the way to do th- there are many ways to do this. Well, one way is the proliferation of centers uh, like the Madison Center at Princeton, it's headed by Robbie George, and this is not uh, directly uh, affiliated with Princeton, but it provides um, classes and symposia and conferences that students can take that provide a different, you know, point of view on, you know, everything from literature to political science to history, you know, all the humanities, all of those disciplines where, um, you know, we should be asking ourselves the question, how should we live our lives? And these are cropping up at at, uh, at or next to universities and colleges around the country. Take Hamilton again. There's something called the Alexander Hamilton Institute. Well, Hamilton College wouldn't allow that to be uh, to be uh, housed on campus, but it's right down the street, and it's run by Robert Paquette, a history professor at Hamilton, and it provides um, and again an alternative uh, to the usual left-wing politicized pablum. Uh, that's on offer in the standard curriculum uh, at Hamilton. And there, there are other ways of, 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 of uh, attacking the, the, the larger intellectual problem. Um, you know, I think that, that we're, we're living in a time now where the focus of intellectual energy in the humanities, not in the sciences, but in the humanities, may be outside the university. Uh, it may be centered in think tanks and in journals like, like National Review or the New Criterion. Uh, you know, there are, you know, our country is very large. There are many, uh, you know, many uh, institutions that provide alternatives. And I think that um, it's, it's, it's my observation that uh, many of these alternatives are kind of creating a sort of parallel series of institutions 
and outlets for that kind of intellectual energy that the that the academy has uh, so woefully neglected or indeed betrayed. Roger, we've got about a minute to go. You're the co-editor and publisher of the New Criterion. What is the New Criterion, and who should read it? Uh, well, um, uh, the New Criterion is a monthly review of culture and the arts, founded in 1982 by Hilton Kramer and Samuel Lippmann. Uh, it's, it, it aims actually um, at providing that kind of alternative that I mentioned uh, just a moment ago. It seeks to recapture um, an interest in the Western tradition uh, through uh, well-written criticism and incisive essays on the Western tradition, art, literature, dance, music, theater, architecture, history, philosophy, uh, you know, we, 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 we seek uh, to delight as well as instruct, as Horace uh, admonished us, uh, and we, we're looking for the general intelligent reader who might have gone to Yale or Princeton or Williams or any other college or maybe no college, but is still intellectually curious and wants to know, uh, you know, uh, what matters in our culture today. The author is Roger Kimball. The book is Tenured Radicals, How Politics Has Corrupted Our Higher Education. Thanks for listening.